This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Baz and Izzy for breakfast. It's Monday and it's the 11th of October and uh, it's kind of like a mad Monday when you think about everything we've had to look at, Izzy. Well, it'd be a mad Monday for Tyson Fury, Taylor Barry and Kevin Barry <laughs> and all of the Fury camp over in Vegas this morning. Do you reckon they've slept yet? Uh, no, no way. They're celebrating hard and why not? What a fight that was. What a slugfest. Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury put on a fight. For the ages, a real old slugfest. It lasts 11 rounds. Well, Kevin Ioli out of Yahoo Sports Boxing Expert came on the show and just broke down the fight and just spoke about it. Is this the end of Deontay Wilder? What an outstanding uh, career he has had to date. Anyway, we had him and we had Jamie Richards on as well. Jamie Richards is the trainer of Probabil. And, well, well all the chat last week was on Zaki. Zaki paying $1.20 leading into that race. And well, Probabil flew well under the radar and just flew home to win that race by a nose over no non-compromise. So what a race that was. Great to hear from Jamie Richards. And then after eight, we spoke to Brendan O'Connor about the Hawks Bay Magpies game and that performance beating Tasman in the Ram Foley Shield match. That was great to chat to Brendan O'Connor. And then we just had... Claire Kirsten on from the Silver Ferns and just spoke about Nolene Tolua and the preparation and the build-up to that series with the Aotearoa men's side. It was a great show. I hope you enjoyed it. You're listening to Baz and Izzy for breakfast. Well, not many people would put themselves through the punishment Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury did yesterday. For every underwhelming bout or fishy decision, two modern-day warriors put themselves in direct firing line of utter boxing punishment yesterday and delivered one of the greatest fights of modern history. Maybe history, full stop. There was only one champion this time, though, Tyson Fury, the Gypsy King, stopping the Brown Bomber late. One man was there and soaked it all up. Was Yahoo Sports boxing columnist and expert Kevin Ioli. And Kevin was good enough to join us this morning. How are you, Kevin? I am doing awesome, still coming down off a high after that fight last night. That was really quite a night. Yeah, what a fight, mate. We were watching it here all the way over in New Zealand, down under, and I just couldn't believe what I was seeing, mate. You want to break down that fight, and what was the turning points, and what did you see? Well, you know, I think that uh, the difference in the fight here is that Tyson Fury can go more than one way. He's a boxer. He's also yeah. a six foot nine and two hundred seventy three pounds. He is also a big puncher. 
Um, Deontay Wilder has that great punch, but that's all he has. And Fury, Fury was able to exploit that. And, you know, as you saw in the fight, Fury went down in the fourth round, but he got back up and he just used his boxing skills and he was really beating Wilder, put, delivering a lot of punishment. Wilder, you know, I think Wilder made it a great fight because he said, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep coming. And you knew he had that power if he connected to knock Fury out. And so you were always on the edge of your seat because you're sitting there knowing, hey, this thing could be over at any minute. And, um, boy, it was quite the ending. And, and I thought both guys acquitted themselves well. And in my opinion, the best heavyweight title fight since Riddick Bowe and Evander Holyfield won, which I was at in 1992 here in Las Vegas. Wow. What a call, what a call, mate. I, I totally agree. It was an outstanding fight for a pundit and a fan. I absolutely loved it. Let's talk about Deontay Wilder. He he obviously put in a lot of work before this fight. He uh, gained some weight, gained some strength. He uh, was a lot of talk about his strength in the gym and transitioning that to the to the boxing ring. Do you, do you have a feeling that that affected him? He looked out on his feet. Round four, he was out on his feet, carrying all that weight. Did it affect him in the end? I, I think the weight actually helped him. I mean, I think he lasted longer. And here's why. Because what Fury did in their second fight, and he did a lot last night, was he leaned on Wilder. He put, he made Wilder carry his weight. And there was no way that yeah. Deontay, you know, if he was light, could could stand up to that. As it was, he was 39 pounds less than Tyson Fury last night. That is a huge advantage. And, you know, when you're trying to uh, – and Deontay's not a guy with big legs, right? So he bulked his upper body up, but his lower body wasn't bulked up. And I think, you know, it helped him. Fury even admitted it helped him. And he was able to kind of get Fury off him as in the early part of the fight. But as the fight wore down and Fury was so relentless and just kept coming – um, Deontay wasn't able to get him off as much. I, I think it was by far uh, the best choice for him to come in. They both came in at the heaviest that they were ever at in their career. I think from Deontay's standpoint, he wouldn't want to come in necessarily that big against almost anybody else. But against Tyson Fury, I think that that was the smart move. We've got Kevin Aoli on the line right now. He's from Yahoo Sports. He's their uh, boxing genius. Send us a message, double eight, double three. We'll put it to Kevin while we still got him on the line. Uh, the day after what was one of the great fights, right? What about the, the respect in the boxing community? You're surrounded by people that know and love the sport, Kevin. For these both, these both both of these athletes and what they put up out in the ring yesterday, what's the vibe in Vegas today? I think, you know, everybody is saying the same thing. You know, they're, they're giving out a tremendous amount of respect, not only to Fury, who very well deserves it and did, you know, a fantastic job, but to Deontay Wilder. I mean, that guy, you know, he, he took so much punishment, so much abuse, and he never stopped coming. Uh, I, I have a feeling that if referee Russell Mora would not have mercifully stopped that bout when he went on the 11th round, that he would have gotten up and tried to continue. Um, you know, he just was really amazing. Uh, I give him a lot of credit uh, for what he did. And I think the fact that he fought back so hard made it uh, that much of a better fight. You know, I think a lesser man and a, lo and a lot of guys in boxing would not have taken that, uh, would have, you know, kind of backed off and accepted the fate and just gotten finished early. Wilder did not do that, and he took tremendous punishment uh, all 11 rounds uh, at, a, at a high cost. You know, you wonder if that may end his career. You know, can you come back from a beating like that? But he, he laid it all on the line, and I think that's what everybody is thinking, that these were two guys 
A lot of fights don't deliver. A lot of fights are disappointments. Nobody came out of that fight last night saying they were disappointed. No way, no way. What a heart of a line, mate. He was, like you said, he just kept getting up, kept coming. Doesn't matter. He was taking punishment that whole entire flight. You spoke about it. Is that the end of... Is this the end of Deontay Wilder? Is that the last we're going to see of him? Or can he come back and keep going? 41 fights, 35 years of age. What next? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, he did not speak to the media last night. They took him to a local hospital for examination. Um, So, you know, don't know what he's thinking. My sense is that he probably will want to fight. But when you take a beating like that, you need to take a long time off. And, and here's the conundrum that he faces, given that. Last night's fight was the first fight that he, uh, he fought in 20 months since the prior Fury fight. Now you got to look and think he's got to take at least nine months uh, to a year off to recover from that fight. And if he does that, you know, like his, you know, time frame is just getting pushed back. He's 35 years old, and that's just a lot, a lot of inactivity. And how does that affect him? He's made a ton of money in the ring, um, and I know, you know, he's not a guy that, you know, is a boxing lifer. And I think, uh, you know, it would not surprise me if he walks away. You know, if he says, "Hey, I've made the money. I supported my family the way I wanted to," and, and that he walks away. Yeah, nice, mate. Nice. He has got a life after this. He's got a family, and uh, we know the boxing is a is a brutal game. You know, we saw last night with with head injuries and concussions. It is a big talking point in sport. Yep. So, yeah, I hope he makes that right decision, whatever's right for his family. But let's talk about uh, Tyson Fury and what next for Tyson Fury. He holds the WBC as lineal heavyweight champion of the world. He's at Olex, uh, Alexander Usyk holds the other bouts. What next? And is he the king? Is he the king of the heavyweights? There was a lot of talk about Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. They are the number one and two in the heavyweight division. What next for Tyson? And and can he go and and get those bouts from Alexander Usyk? Well, uh, Tyson Fury, I think, would want to do that. But first, he's going to have other business because Usyk uh, owes Anthony Joshua a rematch. Joshua has already... Uh, you know, enforce the rematch clause. So Usyk is going to have to fight Joshua one more time. So I think what you might see uh, Deontay Wilder do is fight somebody like Dillian White. Uh, Dillian White was the WBC interim champion. Um, the, the WBC will want to get that fight out of the way. So and that that would be you know for kind of an intermediate fight like you know one you know between um, this fight and and the Usyk fight or or Joshua whoever the winner would be uh, for Tyson. I think Dillian White would be a big fight in the UK. Both guys from the United Kingdom. You know both have good resumes. You know obviously. Tyson Fury, you know, I think is not only the man in, in the heavyweight division now, but he is one. I wrote in my column today on Yahoo Sports. I think when you look at it, you go, he's got to be considered one of the great heavyweights of all time. Who would beat this guy at 6'9", 277 pounds, as good a boxer he is? I mean, I, I'm not saying he's the greatest ever, but you got to put him in that conversation for sure. How do you stack that up? I mean, you're obviously a bit of a boxing historian as well, Kevin, but how do you, in your mind, how do you run that hypothetical? What What is it about Tyson Fury that has made him, or put him even in the conversation for you? Well, you know, let, let's just say if he was a normal-sized heavyweight, you know, 6'3", 220, or 230, I mean, he's, he's a terrific boxer for a big man, and he's 6'9", 275. He's got a big punch, as he's proven to Deontay Wilder now. What did he knock him down? I think in two fights, I think he knocked him down five times, in the last two fights, five times. 
Um, you know, he, he's got a big punch. He's a, he's a big, tall guy. Uh, he's got this massive reach. So now I look and I go back and I say, okay, let's go to, you know, each, um, uh, segment of history. Let's go back. You know, how does he do against Muhammad Ali? Well, you know, Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, everybody calls him the greatest and, and my idol. And I love Muhammad Ali. But he was six, three, about two fifteen, two eighteen at his peak. Tyson Fury at six nine, two seventy five is going to cause a lot of problems for him. Um, you know, Joe Lewis. You go back to Joe Lewis way back. You know, Joe Lewis was six foot. You know, just over six foot and weighed two hundred five pounds. Um, you know, you talk about Riddick Bowe, Riddick Bowe, Lennox Lewis, you know, Holyfield Tyson. Those guys would have been in there with him, but you know, they they all gave up. You know, a, a immense amount of size. So. I, I just think, you know, the size factor, given what else he has in his arsenal, there's nothing that he lacks. You know, he's, he's not the, uh, the quickest heavyweight ever, but he's accurate. Uh, he's got the massive size. He's got big pop. Uh, and he's smart. You know, he's one of the smartest boxers. He makes a lot of adjustments on the fly. And so I, I look at that and I say, I, I think he rates, you know, in my mind, he's one of the top ten heavyweights of all time. We can't really rightly place him until his career is over, and we see exactly what he's done. But I think he's made a heck of an argument for himself against some of the greatest uh, who have ever done it. Isn't it interesting that he's only 32 or 33, right? And it feels like Tyson Fury's been in our lives for so long, maybe because of the way he carries yeah. on. And he kind of carries on like a guy you wouldn't expect to have that ring craft and be the boxing savant he is. But from people, boxing professionals like yourself, Kevin, it kind of sounds like he is on another level intellectually when he's in the ring that maybe Usyk is the only guy in the division that can match him. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, Usyk has that you know a boxing IQ that's really good, and Usyk is a tremendous boxer. Um, I, I had written before Usyk fought Anthony Joshua that I said, you know, Usyk had his first fight at heavyweight. He looked kind of mediocre against Chaz Witherspoon, and I said, if I had not seen that fight, I would 100 times out of 100 pick Usyk to beat Anthony Joshua because of how good his boxer he was. Now, I saw that fight, and so it kind of biased me, and I picked against uh, Usyk. I had Joshua, so I was wrong on that. But Usyk has got great boxing skills, no doubt about it. But how does he contend, you know, he looked tiny against Anthony Joshua, and Anthony Joshua is three inches shorter than Tyson Fury and 35 pounds lighter. So, you know, when you add, you know, add that on, I mean, that's a tall order for somebody even like, uh, you know, I think if you look at uh, excuse me, Alexander Usyk as a, uh, just a standalone guy, you say, man, he is a big dude, but he, he's a dwarf again next to Tyson Fury. So, it's, you know, he, he's a kind of a freak of nature with that size and that ability to uh, box like he has. Mate, we, there was a lot of talk about this mega fight. The mega fight, Joshua Fury, and it was all talk about that. Now Alexander Usyk has come in and shook up the division. Can the with the rematch coming up, can Joshua, with his boxing skill set, with his uh, boxing prowess, can he get the job done? Has he got the tools to beat Usyk and get that potentially get that mega fight back on the cards? I think he does, but you know he has to. I, I thought he fought a really poor tactical fight. You know, I thought he fought the exact fight that Usyk would have wanted him to fight. And, you know, he has to fight like a big man. You know, he doesn't have to 
just try to brawl and, and turn it into a street fight. But I, I think he has to impose his size on Usyk and, and his will on Usyk. And he tried to box with the boxer, and Usyk clearly outboxed him. I think he needs to be a boxer puncher the next time they go at it. And, you know, and he, I thought he got really poor advice in the corner. It was uh, trainer Rob McCracken. Even after the 11th round, when it was very obvious that he was way behind on the scorecards and needed a knockout uh, to win the fight, you know, his trainer said after the 11th round, okay, get out there and use your jab and, and move side to side. And, you know, that's the total wrong thing to say to him. And, and I'm not sure what McCracken was thinking. Um, and so I hope for their sake that, you know, uh, they can bring another voice into the corner just to give a different perspective. Joshua and McCracken have been together for a long time. And I have a feeling that, you know, the message is getting a little bit stale. I think Rob is a good trainer, but I think he could uh, benefit. Uh, Anthony could benefit by having another voice, not replacing uh, Rob, so to speak, but just to have another guy in there to consult with and, and, and see things maybe in a different light. Oh, brilliant stuff, Kevin. That's that's awesome insight, man. I mean, you're over there, you're on the ground, and just giving us that perspective on, I guess, how big of a fight this was, the respect between from the boxing community to these two fighters, and then also where Tyson Fury might stack up in history. It's great stuff. So you can go read Kevin uh, at Yahoo Sports, and hopefully we can catch up another time. Anytime. I appreciate you guys having me. No worries. Kevin Ioli out Thanks, of mate. Yahoo Sports in the States. Tyson Fury for you. Is he top 10? Where does he go? Is he there? Is he right up there oh, with the greats? Matt. Oh, he has to be. He has to be. Like, just for me, it's, been, it's what we talk a lot about mental health on here, and we know his struggles he's gone through. For someone to go through and be so open about that and, and to get to the heights where he was undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, and then relinquish that and go through his struggles to get back on top of the world, that for me just showcases someone that is mentally tough and has to go down as one of the greats, um, if not the greatest. And like he just said, his career is not over yet. He's still got a long way to go. He's only 32. I couldn't believe I was older than him. Um, <laughs> when I saw his, saw his age. Like He just seems like he's been around for a very long time and he's done so many amazing things and you just think he'd be... A lot older than he is, but um, that is the great question. And let us know at home, double eight, double three. Where does Tyson Fury rank amongst the greatest? Is he one of the greatest of all time? Is he the greatest of all time? Or does Muhammad Ali, Tyson, uh, Mike Tyson, um, Joe Frazier, you know, Lennox Lewis from the British, you know, like where do where do they stand? Give us a text on double eight, double three, because we want to hear from you. It's a fascinating uh, chat we should have because. Tyson Fury has to rank amongst the top. Top three, at least, for sure. Well, I tell you what he does rank in is he, at least if he might not be the greatest boxer, and double eight, double three, you tell us, he'd be the greatest heavyweight singer, wouldn't he? <laughs> A touchdown in the land of the Delta Blues In the middle of the pouring rain WC Handy He's on a level with his... <laughs> <laughs> we wondered what he was going to be singing. Well, it was a remat. It was a remix. Forget Memphis. It's all about Walking Vegas. To Vegas. <laughs> Zaki's got a race here in the straight at the 300. Homesman just in front. Zaki has to find because Probabil's driven through a nonconformist. Zaki's really going to have to find at the 150. Probabil's wayward. Nonconformist the threat then Zaki. Probabil and nonconformist. Probabil just in front. Nonconformist drives. Photo. Photo finish. Nonconformist or Probabil. <laughs>
Well, Matty Hill, I'll give you the tip. Uh, Zaki didn't find and probably won the photo. On up the rail, she might have been wayward, but she got her nose down. There's no question she's not. She's our best racehorse, thoroughbred racehorse in New Zealand. But picking up her fourth Group 1 on Saturday over in Australia, all of them, um, she's never been in a horse with as much hype as Zaki. It was a special, special Group 1 performance in the might and power. Jamie Richards is her trainer who is back here down in Matamata. Morning, Jamie. Morning, boys. Hey, mate, congratulations. It must be a huge thrill for the whole barn. Of course, Brendan and Joe Lindsay, the owners as well. Where were you? How did you watch it on Saturday, and what were the scenes live from your place? Uh, no, I just watched it at home, um, just on my own, actually. Don't mind, uh, don't, watch it. don't mind watching them on our own, just in case things don't go as planned. But, um, yeah, certainly, uh, certainly a great one. Yeah, well, that's fair enough as well. You don't want to, you don't want to have a big party and then things don't go right. That's not really your style, is it? Was it? It was a great win. You don't have to understate it so much. I mean, it's her first win in that sort of company over that distance. Did you think that we spoke on Saturday morning and it's kind of hard to know? You said if Zaki's got a chink in his armour, we'll be there to find out. But did you kind of going into the race? What were your actual expectations? Uh, we knew that she was fit and ready. Um, you know, it was always going to run really well, like she like she always does. As long as she gets, um, as long as she gets a good track, she never lets us down. Um, and the only time that um, she just probably runs below par a little bit is when the rain arrives. Um, but yeah, she was brilliant, and um, it was a tricky little race, no doubt about that. Um, she was sort of poking up the fence there, which isn't really her sort of style. She prefers to get out of it, have a bit of galloping room, but. Um, yeah, she was brilliant and um, just got her nose down at the right time, which, uh, you know, it was a real head bobber, but thankfully we got the nod. Mate, how tough is she? How tough is she? I've watched her race a couple of times now and she just looks like she's got that determination, that grit to just fight to the end and just get up. Uh, you know, I've watched her a couple of times just win by her nose, but she's got that determination, that fight to get the, get over that line. 100% and, um, you know, can find a... You know, if we can find another length or two, which she needs. Um, but yeah, great, great performance, and I'm um, very proud of her, and um, proud of Ashley, who's um, <clears throat> been over there looking after them and, and done a wonderful job. At, you know, in these sort of uncertain times where I haven't been able to get over there with the, with the COVID restrictions and the like. So shout out Ashley, who's done a superb job for you. But when you sent probably on her way, so she did come back here, didn't she? You did have a look at her and you got her ready to go. When you sent her on her way, what were you kind of, do you think she's five now? She's a mare. She's a five-year-old mare who's kind of probably, she's done everything the owners could have ever wanted. Did you think that when you were sending her on her way for this preparation, it was kind of like she was ready to go to another level, Jamie? She was ready to hit her career peak? Um, Yeah, I guess... um hard to say um, because when we sort of send her away she'd had a couple of trials uh, trialling on wet ground just sort of going around flopping around <clears throat> like she does um, but then when she gets the blinkers on and the good ground which is really important for her she, she has been able to as you say get to get to a career high so um, yeah it could have gone one of two ways as you see with sort of Avon Targe and Melody Bell unfortunately we had to retire then um, but thankfully, probably it was being being able to fly the flag for us. Mate, what do you make of uh, Zaki's performance? Like, there was a lot of chat before the race, and all the limelight was on Zaki, dollar twenty. So you just kind of forgot about all the other horses in the race. But what was your take 
on Zaki's performance, and uh, you know it's it's human. Well, it's not; it's a horse, but you know. I, what I, mean. I still thought that the horse, the horse <laughs> ran well. Um, yeah. Um, he's, uh, you know, there's a few sort of people saying maybe he might be a little bit better right-handed. Maybe he's a bit better when, the, when there's a bit more rain around. Um, and I guess that the sort of even speaking to James on Saturday night, um, James rode a horse for us in Sydney. I sort of picked his brain a little bit about Zaki as well. Um, and he said maybe he needed to be out sort of rolling along a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I, I certainly don't think he's down and out. Um, he's mm. seems to be trained by a very good young trainer in Annabelle Nisham. Um, no doubt she'll have um, uh, plenty of things going through the back of her mind about how they can sort of get him going again. Um, but, yeah, I certainly wouldn't be... Um, putting a line through him, he can bounce back very quickly. It does raise some really interesting questions about the kind of spring carnival, especially the Cox Plate field. Also, um, Jamie, I guess the, the with travel restrictions, so maybe typically James McDonald previously would have gone down to ride, not that you can't necessarily knock Willow's ride on Zaki, but when you're chopping and changing jockeys at this elite level, is it is it necessarily ideal for a trainer, or is it, can it be a bit of a um, frustration from time to time? Oh, I can... You know, it certainly can be a little bit frustrating, but um, uh, when we're talking about you know those sorts of horses and those sorts of riders, um, you're not you're not losing you know uh, anything. Um, obviously, Craig won on them at Sandown, um, and yeah, things just just didn't go right there on on Saturday for them. But um, uh, no doubt he'll bounce back. So the Cox Plate field, I, what would the worst track you'd run probably on on a Cox Plate be, do you suspect? I mean, you're probably not going to send her out to failure, and as you alluded to, the only time she's ever let you down or it hasn't been at her best as well at wet tracks. So, I mean, is that is the Cox Plate still the plan, but it is, a, is it conditional on weather and track conditions? 100%, yep. Cox Plate in a fortnight is the, is the aim, um, but we just need to make sure that she's running on a good track and if we didn't get the track conditions that we needed, whether that be sort of good to dead, um, then we have got the option of waiting another week for the uh, uh, for the Empire Rose uh, at Flemington and and um, and Mia's company. So yeah, as I say, the, the Cox Plate's still the main aim. Two weeks, um, but if it was to be rain effective, we'd look at other options. Yep, love it, mate. And uh, we've got to ask, on Trivia trialled up. She trialled up super alongside well, Classique Legend, who's the favourite for the Everest. You've, you've officially put a line through the Everest, which would have only been a, a pretty of a pipe dream or might not have even been entirely possible. I'm not sure what the conversations were like there, but she's still all set for the invitation in two weeks as well. And how are you hearing? Uh, what, what's your dad saying about reports on, on Trivia? Yep, all good there. Um, trialled well, as you said. Uh, just got a raffle up in Cotton Wall for the next couple of weeks and get through the 23rd and um, she'll she'll turn up there in, in really good shape and, and ready to run well. Beautiful stuff, Jamie. All the best, mate. Oh, actually, before we let you go, uh, this weekend, Group 1, Livermore, Prix de Fur, Savion Blanc, are they still on track and how have they been going? Yep, happy with both of those. They'll both run well. Um, uh, Prix de Fur's in a good space. Um, the only thing you've just got to be a bit mindful with him is He's going to be having his fourth run in eight weeks and, and three trips to Hastings, which um, can take a bit of a toll on the horses. Um, and Savion Blanc, she's going really well. I was disappointed with her at Tarapa when she missed the kick badly, uh, but she has done that before. Um, so just hope that she doesn't do that down here again on, on Saturday. But um, both horses look great. Awesome, mate.
great. Thanks for having. Thanks for your time this morning. And thanks, congratulations Sammy. again. That's a huge result for yourself in Cambridge Stud. Thanks, boys. Have a good week. See ya. Coming up right now. This is a Mick Cafe coffee catch up. There's time to chat to Brendan O'Connor. He is part of the Bay. The Bay. Because the shield is staying put. Where it belongs in the Bay. The real Bay. Tasman had to wait decades for their shot to take the shield. And after a brutal and intense encounter, it was the Magpie staying firm who came out on top. 34-22. Brendan O'Connor had a great impact on this game and is in some superb form. And he's holding it down with Ash Dixon for the Corals, the old talisman of the side. He's on the line now. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning, good morning. How are you, buddy? How's the body? You recovered well? It was a pretty physical and brutal encounter. Yeah, the body's a bit sore. Uh, luckily, we got a bit of a light day today, so yeah, the old body's hanging on a bit. Nice, mate. Tell us about, talk to us about that performance. Like your, your boys flew out of the blocks, scored some outstanding tries in that first 20 minutes. But then discipline was a telling factor in that match that kept Tasman in the game. Give us your your take on the game, mate. Oh, yeah, mate. Really happy with it. I, uh, like you said, we got off to a really good start. I thought our defence was outstanding. We probably probably got guilty of chasing a few rucks where we gave away um, quite mm. a few penalties that kept them in it. But, um, no, nah, really, really stoked with the performance overall. Mate, let's talk about that defensive and the breakdown area. Has that been a big part? of the Hawks Bay's Magpies um, sessions over the last couple of weeks, that breakdown, like yourself, um, you got Mick Alley too, you got Devin Flanders in there, he's getting a lot of turnovers, Tom Parsons, even Locke, everyone, seemed like everyone was getting in there. Is that a big part to the Hawks Bay uh, game plan? Yeah, I think it's a real strength of ours. Like you see, we've got a lot of boys who are good over the ball. Um, for us, it's probably just uh, making good decisions. Uh, we, we're probably a little bit inaccurate at times there, but and saying that we don't want to go away at what we're good at, and that's, and that's getting out of the ball and getting a lot of jackal turnovers, and then from there we can give the ball to our backs, and you know how dangerous they can be. Now I've got to ask you about Mark Ozic. He's obviously going to Perth. He's going to be a huge loss for Haw- Hawks Bay Rugby, mate. Have you have you been impressed with what he's been able to do over the last couple of years? Bring this young side. We've got to imagine this this side is very young. A lot of these guys are still at Hastings Boys and Lindisfarne College not so long ago. But have you been happy with how Mark Ozic has uh, transformed this Hawks Bay Magpie side? Yeah, so it's a bit of a shame he's got to leave Hawks Bay, but I'm um, really happy for him to get a gig like that. And, you know, he deserves every every part of it. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is he's, he's just a good bugger. Like, he can have an answer with the boys and he's, he's open to a bit of feedback and we'll listen to the boys when they, um, yeah, like I, like I said, when they can give him some feedback. And yeah, he's come through coaching a lot of those young boys with Hastings boys and all that. And um, I think he's really brought them through really well and sort of taught them how to go about things. What about Ash Dixon, mate? Uh, the standing ovation, I was lucky enough to be able to comment, commentate that game and just seeing the standing ovation he received when he walked off. Tell us about his influence amongst this team and, and the respect that everyone has for him around the Hawke's Bay uh, community. Oh, mate, massive respect for him. Um, he, he's the heart of this team, I think. The way he leads this team on and off the field is just massive for us. and uh, Yeah, he's, he's just a huge part of our success and the success of 
best team over the years that he's been here. And to play 100 games for for your province is just massive, and it's something you don't see very often these days. Yeah, nice, mate. I've got a lot of time for Ash, and it's going to be sad to see him go, but he's going to go over and get some yen, mate, pay the bills, and uh, we're very proud of him. But let's, let's talk about the week, mate. When you're leading up against the Tasman Markle side, and they have, haven't tasted success in a Ranfurly Shield match for a very long time. They've been one of the form teams in the competition for the last couple of years now. Tell us about the week, mate. Was it pretty intense and uh, you know, preparations all on track? Uh, we sort of just tried to keep the week similar to any other week. Um, for us, I think a massive focus is just getting our stuff right. I think we've proven when we can get our systems right, especially on defence, then we're a pretty hard team to put away so um, a lot of it was just getting our stuff in order and then yeah like you said they've been such a successful team over the last few years and sort of the team to beat and uh, we just talked about going out there and you know giving it everything and all the pressure was on them to come up here and, and try and win the shield yeah nice mate. It's, tell us about the shield you just touched on the shield what does the shield mean for this Hawks Bay side and I was lucky enough to be able to walk around the community beforehand and just uh, hearing talking to, hearing fans talk about the Shield, the hype surrounding the Magpies at the moment. What does the Shield mean for you and the boys, mate? Well, I think it's huge. and um, The support the Hawks Bay Magpies get um, from everyone is, is so big here. and just, I think we have the largest crowd attendances most, most years. And, uh, being able to have the Shield in the community, take around the schools and business and stuff, um, I think it's just a massive driver for us and uh, being able to get good, loud crowds at games uh, just makes it so much more enjoyable to play, I guess. Nice, mate. I've got to touch on this loose forward trio. Devin Flanders, Marino, Michele, Tu'u and yourself, mate. Um, I thought you boys outplayed a pretty formidable Tasman loose forward trio as well. Tell us about those two boys. I've, they have got a big future ahead of them. Oh, 100%, mate. They're 200 talents in there. must be pretty young. Uh, it's hard to believe. Um, but also, I think you look at our, our bench as well. We have Gareth Evans, Josh Kaifer, Solomon. You know, like, those three oh, could easily, yeah. easily fit in for us and do just as good a job. Um, so I think the depth there is, is awesome to have and it sort of pushes um, everyone in trainings to get better. Yeah, you spoke about that, the reserves, and I thought that was a telling factor when they they came on and actually added uh, a whole lot of impact to that game, especially at the set piece. I thought um, when Jacob Devery and Joe Apikatoa came on, Jason Long, like you said, Solomoni Funaki added that another uh, you know, bow to the to the breakdown area, Josh Kiefer. But the set piece-wise, I, I felt like those guys came on and changed the game because I thought Tasman at the start probably had the wood on just. Yeah, that's something we've sort of talked about the last couple of weeks in terms of the reserves and the non-playing 23, really stepping up that training and challenging the starting 15 and trying to get the best out of everyone. And, uh, yeah, when the reserves came on, I think they did a, an awesome job. Um, you go back a couple of weeks when we played Wellington, you know, we had them under the pump and then when we had a few changes and they came back late in the game and uh, I think the West sort of got a, a rear up there and I thought they were really well on the weekend. Nice, man. Hey, just before we let you go, now the Shield's locked away. The Shield is locked away, and uh, the Premiership now is on the cards. Hawks Bay 
has never won an MPC title or premiership. Is that something that's been spoken about and something that you guys, you're already, already have created in your own little legacy, your own little dynasty. Have you spoken about that potentially being the first side ever to win that competition? Um, no, we haven't yet. We um, mentioned that at the start of the season about performing with big dogs, but um, for us, we're just trying to get better every week. And um, we've got Canterbury this weekend down there, which I don't think we've won in maybe 50-plus years or something down there. So um, it's a yeah. good chance to sort of tick off another milestone and, milestone and make a bit of history. Well, I'm commentating that game, man. I'll make sure it's a neutral call like on Saturday and uh, I'll make sure both sides are getting the rub of the green and uh, look forward to it. Mate, I, I, like you've, you've touched on it. You're the, you said the big dogs. I feel Hawks Bay now are the big dogs. The expectations, you are expected to win every game now. Back in the day when, when Hawks Bay better Wellington, uh, you know, better Tasman or better, better big dog, like a, a, you know, a really strong side, it was a big surprise. Now I feel like you guys are expected to win every game. So have you thought about that? Uh, yeah, I guess in the past, Hawks Bay has always been sort of the underdogs, the sort of small town, small town team that punches above their weight. But um, yeah, our, our expectations are we're good enough to win against any team now. Um, we've definitely got the talent. It's sort of just taken a few years to get the process and, and get our system sorted. So um, yeah, we definitely have expectations of, of beating any team we come up against. Yeah, nice, mate. Nice, mate. I love your, love your honesty. Just before we let you go, Tyson Fury, where does he rank amongst the greatest of all-time boxers for you, bud? Did you watch that fight? No, I'm not a big boxing, boxing fan. Um, so I wouldn't... I wouldn't oh, that's surprising, mate. That You're time. a bit of a grub. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> Oh, mate. Outstanding. Outstanding, China, mate. Hey, thank you so much for joining us, Brendan, mate. Really appreciate your time. And uh, as an ex-Magpies player, mate, I'm I'm so proud of you boys. You boys are playing outstanding, and uh, I'm pretty sure I could speak on behalf of the Hawks Bay region. Keep going well, and uh, we'll see you on Saturday. All right, mate. Cheers, mate. Have a good day. Look, netball will have to be a focus today, is it? Because we've got three bang, bang, bang games coming up, and we've already got we're one down after last night. Yeah, awesome result for our Silver Ferns last night, but it was a tough old battle against the Aotearoa men's side. The Capri Netball Series started last night with the Aotearoa men's missing a few key players due to COVID restrictions. That didn't stop them from playing their fast and aerial-based style, taking a 16-9 lead to end the first quarter. With the help of a few small and one big change in six point, uh, six foot four Grace Nowicki, the Ferns got themselves back into the game, grinding out the last three quarters to win 58-47. Claire Kirsten joins us on the line ahead of Game 2 and to reflect and review Game 1. Morena, Claire. Morena, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you and how did the girls pull up after a pretty physical and brutal encounter last night against the men's side? Yeah, we're, we're all good. A little bit... A little bit um Staff and sore, but that's nothing unexpected, really. And we've had a few tough days of training in the lead up as well. So, yeah, we've got another one, big one t- today, and then again tomorrow. So it's a tough few days, but um, yeah, we're looking forward to the to the next two games. Nice. How was the build up um, when you when you know you're facing the Altair or men's side, and uh, the game that they bring? They bring an aerial based physical 
kind of aspect to the uh, to the games when they play. How was the build up and how was the preparation? Yeah, preparation was good. Largely focused on on us and particularly coming out of that um, series against England a couple of weeks ago. Very much focused on us because there were a few things that we wanted to to try and, and get right or improve on for this week. Mm. And, and it's always a little bit of the unknown going in against the men. Um, so, yeah, last night, I think it took us, it showed it took us a little while to, to get going. And once we kind of settled in, um, things started to open up again. But, yeah, by no means think that it's just going to be uh, the, the same again tonight. I'm sure they'll keep adapting and, and um, sort of improving over the next couple of, of, of games. So we need to be able to do the same. Claire, what are the main differences? So you've, you haven't played them in a while, so yeah, it will be a bit of a, a shock straight away, a bit shell-shocked in the first quarter maybe, but what were those yeah. what, what were those differences that you guys had to adapt to? Um, I guess stating the obvious is the sort of uh, the speed and the height and, and those sorts of things. Um, you, you know, definitely bringing the ball down court, the arms that you, that you have in front of you are, are quite different from, say, when we were playing playing England but they're, they're still hugely skillful and and um, it's just an, another element that you that you have to get used to and um, the space that they can that they can take up on defense um, is, is pretty massive so um, that just means that we have to be a little bit more patient and we talked about it uh, about that a lot um, but sometimes it just mm. takes a little bit of, of getting used to in, in, the, in the game to be able to sort of settle into that. You spoke about patience. One of the big uh, turning points or the changes I saw in the performance was when you played the English Rose, getting the ball up to the uh, to the goal shooters, getting the ball into space. I, I felt like the man coverage that England brought to that game, you girls struggled to, to get into space. But it, mm-hmm. I noticed a big difference last night, getting the, getting the girls moving, moving into space, getting yeah. open. Was that a big factor and a big work on that you worked on in that training series leading up to this? Yeah, absolutely. A big focus was kind of put on the lines that we're running, not just in that attacking third, but sort of from our turnover ball as well. So, um, yeah. yeah, we call them bow lines. <laughs> um, and just making sure that we're really committing to, to running those. And even if it's not for ourselves, having the confidence that it's going to open up something for someone else. But, yeah, there's a big mm. difference between sort of running something and not getting it and just staying there versus actually going, okay, well, that hasn't worked, so what else can I do off it? And um, the, the timing that, that comes off that for everyone else as well. Izzy, I think you need to be careful here, mate, because you're starting to show your hand again about how much you know about netball. And the, the New Zealand, net, the Aotearoa men's side, they are short. I know you've only got one leg at the moment, but you are they are short, so you might be a, la- a last-minute replacement. Looking forward to tonight then, Claire, what are some stuff that you know that Noel's is going to bring up in the review today or, or that the coaching staff will want from you guys to um, adapt and, and again enhance this evening? Yeah, I think definitely that start is, is going to be one thing. And I mean, I think that, that scoreline was probably quite flattering at the, at the end of it. If we sort of break down quarter scores, we had two really mm. good ones. And then the first quarter obviously wasn't wasn't great for us. And then a, a, a pretty tight third one. So getting some consistency across all four will, will be a big one. But yeah, we're all about to head into one-on-one meetings over the next hour or so. So I'm sure we'll, we'll get some, some good pointers. <laughs> <laughs> How was Nolene? How was Nolene? I read an article that she was questioning 
uh, some mental resilience and mental toughness in that game. How was she post match? Yeah, um, we do our we do like a a, a post match debrief in the in the changing rooms, but it's um, mm. it's pretty player led to be honest. She she'll chime in every now and then, and and Deb's as well. But um, it's largely focused on on what what we think, and then the the rest comes out into the clips and and um, coach catch ups and our meeting this morning. So um, yeah, I think she was was pleased with a few things, but won't be completely satisfied, as, as is the same with all of us, really. Yeah, fair enough. Well, you guys uh, have, a, I guess, a, <laughs> at least a chance to build. I mean, how often do you get to play three games in three days? It kind of feels like junior tournament or like a... Like yeah, a... I know. <laughs> we had a similar one um, last year that was actually four games in four days. Um, against the the men and the 21s in the end of the game, and there was a final at the end of that as well. So um, it happens every now and then, but I guess this is three, you know, three against the men in a row is pretty high intensity and and, and physical. So um, yeah, we'll see we'll see how we go when we <laughs> get back on court tonight. But I think our preparation has 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 been really good for that. We have had three. Um, I'm losing track of days here, but I think it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, Thursday and Friday in particular. Um, you know, I think it prepped us really well for that. So um, we should be able to to stand up to that physically. Beautiful stuff. Well, good luck for your for your one on one meeting. Um, hopefully it <laughs> goes well, and uh, good luck for tonight and tomorrow night. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, Claire. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Claire. Awesome. Awesome. I'll tell you one thing that will get them through, Louie, is their fitness, because knowing Nolene and hearing stories, that that camp, she spoke about it, they come into this game pretty tired, they had a big few days. They would have been just getting thrashed for the last, <laughs> last couple of days. Maybe so you need to go one join thing the camp. Get them... Oh, mate. Do you know what? Honey hit me. She challenged me to go join Nolene Tauroa to go into a camp. No way. I'm not going in there to get embarrassed. Um, maybe, no, oh, give me a couple of months and I'll, I'll be back. Back, Maybe that's what exactly what you need. Once you're up on two, if Trudy goes, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll work that out. We'll, we'll, we'll get a contract drawn up in the break, and then we'll get that over the line.